This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney, and this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel graph faith just isn't going to cut it in the chaos that surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. For a long time now, we've been talking about what it means to surrender your life to Christ, what it means to have a vibrant prayer life, what it means to take Christ seriously, what it means to move beyond the Laodicean church age in which we live and embrace him for what he truly is. I passed out handouts like the ones that Vic read um, months ago to kind of give us a format that we can go by, prayers that we can pray in preparation for the Lord's Supper. A couple of weeks ago, I passed out a uh, something to allow you to, to surrender your life to very various relationships that may take precedent over God in your life, such as you or work or family or fame or money or stuff of that nature. I don't know how many of you went through that, but we're trying every possible way we can for the past three or four months to prepare us for today, for today. You know, everything, every life change that takes place begins at the beginning. Everything has a genesis. Everything has a beginning. Whether we build on that beginning or not is really up to us. But today, for many of us, we have an opportunity to start something new. I wrote an email yesterday that kind of explained what we're going to be doing today. We're, we're not worried about past failures. We're not worried about vows that you have made and I have made that we failed. And so therefore, I can't even trust my own word and God should strike me dead. And so I'm not even going to try anymore. Though, would you throw those all out the window? This is a, a time of laying aside the past failures and embracing the newness that comes only with Christ. And today can be a beginning, a beginning change for every one of us as we learn about what it means to follow Christ. I shared with you last week that this is the crux verse of what it means to follow Christ. If anyone desires to come after me, and let's assume that's our desire, there are some requirements. Let him deny himself, and we're going to be unpacking that in the weeks to come. Take up his cross and follow me. Why? Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. In other words, if you live for you, you live for nothing. But whoever loses his life for my sake to to subjugate your life to God Almighty will find it, and Christ calls this an abundant life. And then he gives the reason why. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world by finding his own life and spending it on himself and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his glory of his Father and with his angels, and the Son of Man will then reward each person according to what they did with him. Not what they did for so to alleviate social ills, or what they did to support their family, or the biggest house we have, or how many people applaud us but according to their works. As I shared with you last week, to get the full impact of this, we have to take all the accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and and put them all together because there's a few things that some of the other gospel writers included that Matthew didn't. When we put this all together, it gives us even a deeper picture of what this verse says. 
It says, then Jesus, Mark says, he called all the people to himself and said to them all, Luke adds, which means this is not meant for just the disciples. In other words, this wasn't just the 12, and he's surrounded by the entourage, which is us, the the non-12. And so he's talking just to the 12. If you 12 want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. But Steve, you don't have to because you're not part of the 12, and I'm not talking to you. But if we look at the totality of this event in the three Gospels, we find out that he's calling them all, and he's speaking to them all, not only the 12, but the women that were there and the following entourage, many of the 120 in the book of Acts were probably there. And the disciples were there also. And here's what he said. Desire. If anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And Luke says it's not a one-time commitment. Daily. And if you've ever tried to surrender your life to the Lord and live totally for him, you will find it's not just daily. It is most likely hourly. Hourly. In other words, the idea that that Jesus is telling us here is this is not a one-time deal. Oh, yeah, I remember an evangelist came. I think it was 1993, and he preached this message, and I went down to the aisle, and and I prayed, and I surrendered my life to Christ, and I only had to do it once. It's not what Luke says. Luke says that sanctification is an ongoing process. It's a process of growing in holiness, and you're going to find that you will have to deny yourself. Again, Luke says daily. I have a tendency in my own life to realize sometimes it's hourly or sometimes even every 15 minutes or when I encounter another human being. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and Mark adds, and the Gospels, my sake, and only the, not just for me, but the proclamation of my message will find it. And he continues, For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Luke adds, and he is himself destroyed or lost. Matthew. Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Mark adds, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. By the way, that applies to us today because we're living in an equally, if not more so, sinful generation. If you are ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes. Luke says, in his own glory... And Matthew, and the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. That's the totality in Scripture of what Jesus said at this time. We talked about last week. Then Jesus called the people to himself, and he said to them all, with all his disciples, and last week we focused on the word desire. It has to begin with a desire. If anyone desires to come after me, for whoever desires has to do this. And we talked about that, that um, you know, God isn't, God isn't asking for perfection. God is asking for desire. And he is very well equipped and knows, very experienced, is taking someone full of sin, full of baggage, full of failures, with almost nothing to bring to him, like all the disciples, like the Apostle Paul, like every Christian I know. 
And when they have a desire to be more like Christ, he takes them and turns them into something magnificent for his glory. Have you noticed? It all begins with desire. Last week, we talked about the fact that the word desire means to will, to wish, to desire, but it also means not just dreaming, but actually doing something about it. I desire to hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, but you haven't got out of that chair and haven't eaten Pringles, quit eating Pringles for six years. I know, but that's my desire. No, that's a wish. That's a whim. A desire implies active will, active purpose, active volition. I have a desire, and I'm going to do something about it. I have a desire, and I'm going to act on that. I have a desire that's going to motivate me to sacrifice an action. It's what the word means. If anyone desires and is willing to do something about it, things can change. If anyone desires to come after me, to actually work on it, to actually sacrifice and set their mind to it and do something about it. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I'm kind of amazed as I look at here the, the word let me, which implies your action, and it's implied all through this passage. If, if this is an if-then kind of proposition, if you do this, then if you want this, this is what must have to happen. If anyone desires to come after me, then let him. Your action. First thing, deny himself. Implied. And then let him take up his cross daily. And we'll talk about what that means, literally. And implied, let him follow me. It's not let God force you. God is not going to make the change in you. God is not going to push you up there. God's not going to move your lips like a marionette or a puppet. God says, let you do this. This is your action. If you desire with active will and volition, then there's certain things we need to do. Now watch this. There's certain requirements that the Lord lays out for us. And watch the order of sequence. We want to jump from, I'll follow him, and not do everything that precedes that. There's first a desire. You must have a desire. And that's what I'm praying for today. That everyone in here will concretely say, Lord, with all my failures and all the mistakes that I've made, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to desire. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever's necessary with your help to do that. I am willing to begin today. And after desire comes a denial. This is the hard part. In order to follow Christ, this great paradox, you must deny yourself because our flesh is an antithesis. It's it's anathema to the spirit. You can't have them both. My flesh wants to gratify itself. The center, the idol of my flesh is me and not Christ. So there's a denial that takes place. And again, I prayed about that. And I, the, the prayer that, that Vic read, it, I've read that prayer, and it talks about no sin, no denial, no nothing. So I've prayed the prayer, and so therefore I'm done, right? No. There's a denial, and then there's a daily action of denial. There's that, there's that idea that I have denied myself, and I may have, you know, put a stake in the sand or, or said from this day forward, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, but I will be tested later on this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and there'll be a constant fight to stay denied. 
to keep the flesh on the altar. You know that's true. And then, then follow me. The word deny is a simple word. It simply means to deny or refuse. I, uh, I'm going to deny myself that meal, and so I'm, I'm fasting, so I'm going to refuse that. Or I deny, I'm going to deny that person entrance into my life, so therefore I'm refuse to let them in. That's simple. Now, this is a little more complicated because the word says deny himself, and, and I don't want to get through all the intricacies of the Greek here, so I just copied and pasted and made a few adjustments here so you can see how it is in many of the lexicons. When the word deny is followed by a reflexive pronoun, which means oneself or himself, it changes. It changes the meaning of the word. It's more than just to deny or refuse, because the object of that denying is you. I'm denying myself. I'm denying oneself, and therefore it means to deny oneself literally means to disown and renounce self and to subjugate everything about our life, our work, our interest, our benefits, our enjoyment to someone else. In other words, it's more than just refusing. When I, when I am refusing myself and I am denying myself, it means everything that I am, my sincerely held convictions, the way I think things ought to be, what I do for my pleasure, what I do to satisfy my own desires. What is your five-year plan? What is your 10-year plan? I, I don't have one anymore because that's all been subjugated under Christ. How much money do you have saved? It doesn't matter anymore because it's all subjugated under Christ. What kind of entertainment do you enjoy? It doesn't matter because it's all been denied and subjugated under Christ. When someone denies himself, in the Greek here, it is a powerful phrase. And it really digs deep into every single fiber of our being. That's why Jesus talked about counting the cost. Well, I have a desire to follow you. Well, here's what's required. The first thing you must do is this. I'm not sure I want to do that. That's, the cost is too high. Many people struggle with that. If you look at synonyms, now these, are, these are words that are used not only in the New Testament Greek, but also in secular Greek for this phrase. It it gives you kind of a different idea of what it means to deny. It means to speak against, to contradict, to avoid, to reject, nullify, stand firm against, resist, or oppose. You need to oppose yourself. Stand firm against yourself. You need to contradict everything you think or say. You need to avoid you. You need to nullify you. You need to reject you. Powerful, powerful condition Jesus places on following him. We never teach this. I've never heard a sermon on this stuff before. I, you know, the church isn't interested in fully committed followers of Christ because they make everybody else, including the church staff, feel kind of funny. But someone who's absolutely sold out to the Lord Jesus of Christ, we would call a hero of the faith. Jesus would call just a follower of him. Well, if those that's the definition of being a follower of Christ, then what are we? Where does that place us? Let me show you how the word is used. Matthew 26, 33 and 35, very familiar passage. 
Peter answered and said, after Jesus said, all you will deny me, I will never deny you. If all are made to stumble because of you, I'm better than everybody else. I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus says, surely I say to you this night that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not refuse, revoid, reject, oppose, claim I never even know who you are. Remember that denial? It was an absolute denial. That's what the word means. Luke, we find the same word being used. And I say to you, this is the difference between confessing, acknowledging, and adhering to, and to pronounce and proclaim publicly, and a denial. Whoever confesses to publicly pronounce and proclaim, yes, I belong to Christ. Let me tell you about who he is. Me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess openly before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied. doesn't say by who, but he will be denied before the angels of God. Well, we know who we're going to be denied by. He talks about that in other passages. Which brings us to Matthew 10. So I want you to look at your Bibles. I'm, I've got the verses up here. But I want you to see this, this picture of total surrender to him. This is what it means. This will give you an idea of what the denying of self is all about. Matthew chapter 10. What he says here. Jesus is giving a, a command you know, to not only them, but to us too. He's talking about the truth that he tells us about life, about salvation, about sin, about the world in which we live, about the need of man for salvation, about hell and heaven. What I tell you in the dark, what I tell you secretly, what I tell you quietly, what I tell you in the stillness of your soul, what I tell you that you think is meant just for you, I need you to speak it in the light. Well, okay, this is, this is making disciples of all the world. This is proclaiming the gospel message, something many of us, including myself, um, do so poorly when we take it outside of the church setting. And what you hear in the ear, what you hear, oh, that was really great, Lord. Oh, I understand that, Lord. Oh, I'm so wonderful that you, you open that passage up to me, Lord. Oh, I see what the future holds for the world, Lord. You preach on the housetops. You proclaim to the world. Now, he's not just talking to his 12. This is a command for everyone who has the Holy Spirit living in us. Every one of us. Jesus says, I didn't call you and redeem you to be quiet. In the book of Revelation, there's this scene where he has these angels flying in mid-heaven. I don't know, a couple hundred feet up in the air, who knows, and they're just flying around and they're proclaiming a message from God. Do you, do you remember reading about that? Small little cryptic phrase. I mean, he could have chosen to communicate his message that way. And then he wouldn't, you know, depend on people like me to do that. Fickle, selfish, unsurrendered people like me to do that, that are more concerned about me and how I'm going to be related to and how I'm going to be responded to than the salvation of the hearts of the people that we're, we're talking to. But he chose not to do that. Instead, what he did is he filled us with the Holy Spirit and he gave us a, a command to simply proclaim his message. What you hear in the dark, 
what you think is just for you, which is kind of quiet and safe in your own family and your own friends in here. What you hear in here is not meant to stay in here. Speak it in the light. And what you hear in the ear, proclaim from the housetop. Preach from the housetops. But if I do that, if I do that, I'll face persecution. Promise. Absolute promise. All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And Jesus knows we're thinking that because we're selfish, self-absorbed, unsurrendered people. So here's what he says. And don't fear those people who can kill the body. I mean, don't, don't fear the government putting us in prison, your unlost relative that's going to just jump in your face. Forget about all those people. Don't fear anybody who can just kill the body but cannot kill you, but cannot kill your soul. But there is somebody you need to fear. But rather fear him. Well, who is him? What are the attributes of him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell? Do not fear man, but you had better fear God. I have watched my own grandchildren. I have watched um, the church today church in America today, I've even watched my own life, and one of the things that we have totally lost is the fear of God. And we treat him with such disrespect. Yawn. Oh, we're talking about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Oh, I've heard that story. You know, our, our demeanor, the way, I mean, if we truly had a fear of God, if he showed up and, and Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because of a known sin that we all knew about, man, we, would, we wouldn't even come anymore. We'd be scared to death of this God. But Jesus says, you want to fear somebody? Don't fear man. But you need to fear God. Do I? Do you? And if so, of fearing him to not displease him or disobey him, how has that changed our life? Then he goes on. You need to understand why you shouldn't fear because God, God loves you. God God has something planned for you. God is sovereign in all things. And so Jesus says this, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? I mean, in, in their culture, it's one of the most worthless animals. The copper coin, a penny. is a. I mean, aren't two sparrows sold for that? Well, yeah. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. You need to understand, you who are afraid, he's saying, that even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So if God loves you that much and is that concerned about you as he is about the two sparrows that you don't even care about, do not fear therefore. And what is the therefore? The consequences of proclaiming his message that he just talked about. Do not fear because you are far more value than many sparrows, many sparrows. And if you look in your Bible at the beginning of verse number 32, the first word there is therefore. <coughs> therefore. Every time you see one, you need to realize that he's making a concluding statement based on some premises that he shared beforehand. What I shared with you is whatever, you sh whatever I tell you, proclaim it to the world. 
don't be afraid of man, but you had better be afraid of me because, you know, I love you this much. Even the hairs on your head are numbered and you're far more valuable than the sparrows, but they don't even drop to the ground unless I know about it. Recognize what a sovereign God I am. And understanding all of that, he says, therefore, here's the concluding statement. Therefore, whoever confesses me, where? In church? In my private prayer life, I'll confess you, Lord, publicly when I get to the right throne judgment and I'm surrounded by other people that are going to confess you. That's not what he's interested in. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men. What, like Peter denied you? No, that's not the context here. The context is denying him by not proclaiming his name and his goodness to the lost people he places in our sphere of influence, to taking his message and being so afraid of the persecution or the, and it's not even persecution in our country yet, the disapproval, the people that are going to write really nasty things on our Facebook page that we have to block them or whatever it is. We're so afraid of that and not afraid of him. And his command for us, wanting to be loved by the world so much that whoever denies him, and we deny him that way, Jesus says, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Ah, Lord, I mean, that's so hard. I mean, that's, that's so hard. I, I can't, I just... Can't I just, you know, homeschool my kids and, and go to a nice church and, and live in my holy little huddle and, you know, just, just hang around other Christians and, and this whole evangelism thing, this whole, whole light and darkness kind of deal. Can't I just be light and light? Why do I have to be light and darkness? Because the darkness wants to stamp the light out. Yes, but the light is far more powerful. It shows how great and magnanimous he is. I know, but my, my family's going to get upset with me and I may lose my job and all this stuff's going to happen. And, and Jesus anticipated every one of those fears. Same ones that we have right now. Look how he continues. Verse, uh, verse 34. Well, let me ask you a couple questions here first. Lord, if I confess Jesus before my friends, they won't include me. I won't be invited to the Super Bowl party. Um, they won't take me fishing and hunting with me. And when they do, they'll, they'll get together in their little groups and they'll just kind of make fun of me. And, and Lord, I don't want to confess Christ to them because my love for my friends and acceptance by the world is more important than my obedience and fear of you. The scripture clearly says, he who makes himself a friend of the world, remember the rest of that? Turns himself into an enemy of God. Yeah, but... I'm living with a guy that doesn't like Christ. Well, what, what about that? I mean, did, what am I supposed to do if, if I proclaim Jesus in my family, or if I live for Christ in my family, he may separate from me, he may divorce me, or, or she may leave me. What about that? Or I'll lose my job. They're asking me maybe to do some things that, that are unethical, and I, I, don't, I don't want to lose my job. But what do you think God gave you that job? Well, well to, to climb up the corporate ladder, to get the the corner office to to have my name on the door. No, that's why you thought he gave you that job. He gave you that job because he's going to use that job to take care of your family, but he sent you there as a missionary, as light in darkness. 
Well, what do I do? Be light in darkness, come what may. What if I get persecuted, even to the point of imprisonment? Or, or you choose the excuse. There's a million of them out there. What is it that keeps us from being his followers? Fears and excuses. That Jesus knew exactly what those fears were. Look how he continues in verse 34. Uh, just so that you'll know, he's saying it was to us, to those who desire to be followers of him. him. Um, I hope you don't think I came to bring peace on the earth. What You, you think I'm going to make everything just warm and fuzzy? This is Satan's kingdom. This is Satan's domain. I am coming back now to reclaim what belongs to my father that was given over to Satan because of the sin of men. You, you, peace? You know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be denied by those people I came to save. I'm going to be lied about, maligned, flogged. Even my very disciples will flee from me and deny they even know me. I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword, a sword, an instrument of combat. In what areas of our life? Well, it's really simple. For I have come, this is my purpose, to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. That's the closest intimate relationships that you have. Other than husband and wife, it's parent to child. Or a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus says, this is what I've commanded you to do. This is what following me means. We don't preach that today. We don't, we don't even think about that today because the church would get smaller. Instead, the church grows longer or larger, but our impact in the culture is almost nil. There are many promises in Scripture. Um, I'm going to start writing about those and sending you some emails about them later on just looking at each of the promises. This is a promise. This, this is a promise. This is what Christ came to do. And so if you, have, if you have problems in your family because of Christ, I mean, don't acquiesce. Stand firm. This is, this is what happens when light enters into a dark world. It's also the cost of following Jesus. Are we willing to pay that? It's a desire thing. Then he goes on, just so that you'll understand that uh, this is what I've come to do. Then we're all kind of looking and counting the cost right now. And so Jesus kind of lays all that out. It's all in this narrative here. He says, for those of you who are struggling, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Don't even bother trying. You have an idol in your life, and the idol in your life is a, a, a human relationship. That you rather please that human relationship more than please me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I'll do anything for my kids. I just love my kids. I want my kids to like me so much. Parents, um, your kids have friends, but you're their only parent. It's not necessarily your job to be your kid's friend. It's your job to be their parent. Know what I mean? So we somehow we've missed that. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Therefore, implied conclusion here. He who finds his life will lose it, 
and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Make sense? It's the paradox of this idea of following Christ. We don't speak in terms like this because we don't see public executions on the road heading in and out of Jerusalem when they don't take prisoners today and publicly flog them sometimes to death. We don't have members of our church like Paul that bear on their body the brand marks of Christ. Most of our hurts are personal, are intimate, or have to do with our feelings. That person hurt my feelings. That person broke my heart. Their culture was different. I mean, even little kids saw the remnants of crucifixions. You had to if you ever traveled to Jerusalem. That's what they did. They hung bodies out so that it would be a deterrent for other people who committed crimes. They knew exactly what it meant to pick up your cross and follow him. It was an instrument of excruciating pain, of public humiliation that always resulted in death. So when Jesus is telling them, deny himself, deny yourself, and take up your cross and follow me, he, they knew they meant total 100% abandonment to the lordship of Christ without reservation, no matter where it took you, no matter what happened, come what may. They understood that cost. We don't. When we were meeting at the Pendergrass barn, I remember um, I was trying to explain what it meant that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember? We think that means, oh, confess Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That's not what it meant. And I called Justice up to the front, and I had him get on his knees, and I took a big old butcher knife, and yes, I turned it around so the dull side was towards his neck, although Galen wasn't so sure. And I put it right up to his neck, and I pulled his head back like I was going to just slit his throat like a, like a Muslim does an infidel. And I'm pulling it right there, and I say, confess who Christ is. At the cost of death. That's what that passage meant when it was being written by Paul. It's that kind of confession. This is what it truly means to follow Christ. It means doing what's right even when you don't want to. It means doing what's right even if it costs you something. It means following him and pleasing him even if it makes the members of your own family angry. Because Christ doesn't care. When you, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he says, what did you do with my son? And your answer was, I didn't do anything because you know, every time I, I did, my, my kids got a little irritated at me and told me I was embarrassing them, so I stopped. That won't fly. That won't fly. That means your children now are an idol that takes a, a higher place in your devotion than the Lord does. And he promises, promises, that is going to cause conflict. So, based on what Jesus said, are you a follower of Christ? Probably not. Me neither. But that could all change today. Today is the day of new beginnings. To reject the lukewarmness and the Laodicean kind of DNA that we all have from living in this age and becoming absolutely sold out, or at least being willing to be sold out 
to him without reservation, no matter what. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus because I asked Jesus into my heart when I was in vacation Bible school and I read my Bible like, you know, a couple times a week when I get a chance and I pray when I can. And on a scale from one to ten, I'm like a seven. I mean, isn't that all that's required? Are are you happy with that? I mean, you okay with that? You just want to limp towards judgment like that? That's not the abundant life in Christ. That's if, if we're not tens, if we're not closer to him right now than we ever have been, we're heading in the wrong direction. And that can all change with a desire, a desire. Truly counted the cost of what it means to be a Christian? I just thought it meant like I had to tithe. Well, that's, that's the only thing that bothers me. Is he the center of your life? Is he... Your very life. Do you want him to be? And if so, it all begins at a point in time that I'm hoping will be today. Today. Lord, I have followed you, and I have, I have felt your presence, and you have used me, and I've had ten moments in my life, and they've been fantastic and wonderful, and I can't believe that I, I, I fell back down from that relationship with you. But, but today it can be different. Today can change everything begins with the beginning. Do you desire to follow after him no matter what, come what may? And if so, here's what it is. I desire, I will deny myself. And again, I'll, next week I'm going to give you just some examples in life where all of us are struggling with denying ourselves. Take up my cross daily. Follow him. Because if I continue spending my life for me, my life means nothing. But if I can spend my life for him, it means everything. And so what Christ wants is us to begin today. Now listen, there's nobody here, to my knowledge, because I know me better than you, There's nobody here that has made more vows to the Lord and broke them than I have, than I have. Um, There's nobody here that has been the recipient of more grace than I have. My life was, was horrific, still struggle with some of the things of the old life, but God nevertheless still loves me and still takes care of me and still gives me another opportunity. And I, since I'm such a perfectionist in my own spiritual life, that when I mess up, it's like I punish myself. I, I share this with you. I punish myself by separating myself from God for a number of hours or days so that I'm doing penance until I feel like I've suffered enough and I go back to God and ask him to forgive me for a sin that he already has. Like, like how stupid are you, Steve, to do that over and over and over again? Really stupid. Because I have this perfectionist kind of attitude in my own spiritual life. And what God has shown me this week that I want you to please understand is it ain't about perfection. There ain't nobody perfect but Christ. None. You will fail. You will, you will take a few steps forward and a couple steps back. It's part of the sanctification process. Our children do it when they learn how to walk. We got this puppy. For I mean I can't we got I I got this puppy for 
for my wife, and I forgot that you don't take puppies and just put them outside, that you have to keep them inside for a month, right? <laughs> you know, and so we're trying to potty train the puppy. You know, every time the puppy messes up, which really is not too many, I'm kind of impressed. Now, you know, okay, what do we chuck the puppy out? I hate you, I can't believe it. This is to learn. We still love the dog through it. Well, does God not love us at least that much? It's insane. What he wants is a desire. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you have a desire to present your body as a living sacrifice. But it's full of sin. No, I see it as holy. But I've messed up and you won't accept me. It is acceptable unto God which is the reasonable, logical, rational thing to do based on the mercy and grace he showed you. Once I am willing to surrender to him, then he begins to work with me, to energize me, to cooperate with me, and change me into what he wants me to be. But it all begins with desire. Amen? So we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do this individually. And I'm going to ask you to spend some time in prayer. And I'm going to ask you today to, to, to make that commitment, to let today be the beginning. Today, from this day forward, to the best of my ability, I want to surrender my life to you. And Lord, when I mess up, which you will, I'm going to immediately confess that sin. I'm going to practice that spiritual breathing. I'm going to confess out my sin. I'm going to, I'm going to inhale his, his forgiveness, and I'm going to pick, pick myself up, and we're just going to move forward. And if I'm, if I'm struggling and stumbling today like a toddler, hopefully tomorrow I'll walk a little better, and someday down the road I'll be an Olympic runner. It takes time. And it takes time on this day-by-day, almost moment-by-moment, decisions that we make to choose to live a sanctified, surrendered life or to go our own way. So I'm going to have the Lord's Supper up here, and I'm going to ask you to come and partake of it after you have prayed. And also up there, you're going to find this vintage 1990, what would Jesus do bracelet? You remember these? Remember these? I mean, it's a really great concept. It comes from a book called In His Steps uh, by a man, a pastor named Sheldon, uh, like at the turn of the last century. And the idea was, in order to live a sanctified life, that what I want to do is I want to, to only do what Jesus would do. I want to ask that question. When I'm getting ready to respond, respond to this person, what would Jesus do? And whatever Jesus would do, that's what I'm going to do. When I get ready to make this purchase, when I get ready to watch this show, when I get ready to, to embrace this relationship, when I get able to get ready to do anything in my life, I want to funnel it through, what would Jesus do? If you make a commitment today to end 2019, whether you're ending on a high point and you're at 10 spiritually, or whether you're ending as an abject spiritual failure and you feel worse than you ever have in your life as a negative one, it doesn't matter. We put that all behind us. We put that all back. God has already forgotten all that. And from this day forward, we embrace a different life with him. At least we are willing, willing to do that. And let him work it out in us. I'm going to ask you, as you take the Lord's Supper, if you choose to do that, to pick up one of these bracelets. 
You can wear it on your wrist if you want. You can tie it to your keychain. You know, you can somehow attach it to your phone case, so then you'll look at it 600 times a day. Uh, whatever you want to do as a reminder that this, today I've made a commitment that I want to, to the best of my ability, live my life surrendering it to Christ and only doing what Jesus wants me to do. Amen? Here's what the Lord says about this time of fellowship with him. He says, For what I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I find it one of those phrases in Scripture that always gets me. That Jesus said prior to this, I have earnestly desired to eat this supper with you before I suffer. And they didn't get it. They just blew right on, talking about who was going to be the greatest. He wants fellowship with us. And so he says, take my body, which is broken for you. Partake of the bread of life in fellowship with him. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, which is the cup of redemption, the cup of atonement, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for the redemption of our sins. Our sins. Not his, but ours. The just for the unjust. And he wants us to partake of that. To drink of the of the new wine, the new cup. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that he will not even drink of the fruit of the vine. Again, it's been 2,000 years until he drinks it anew with us, celebrating this fellowship in heaven. He's waiting on us to fellowship with him. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to take whatever time you need to get your heart right. And, and up here we have the, the bread and we have the juice and I have the the bracelets, please do whatever God has called you to do. Since you'll be coming up here alone, there's no peer pressure. I'm not going to have you wave them at the end to see who's got them and who doesn't have them. This is just between you and him. And I'm asking you that if you make this commitment today, today is the beginning, that we will pray for each other, we will encourage each other, and we will urge each other on to spiritual fervency especially as we see the day of his return approaching. Amen? Let me pray. Father, this is your time. This is the meal that you've set apart for us to remember you by. And Lord, it is your will that we surrender our lives to you. Father, would you help us do that today? As limping and as broken and as filthy as our lives are, in your hands, you can make something that brings you glory. I know, Lord, we've experienced salvation. My Lord, Lord, that many of us have failed at sanctification. But that all can change today. Lord, like a newborn babe, would you let us be willing to have you make whatever change in our life is necessary. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We will just rejoice at our growth and our maturity and Lord, we'll humbly ask you to forgive us for our failures. But the goal is to be like you. The goal is to have a mind of Christ.
And the goal is to let others see you in us. Lord, would you let us surrender our lives today? Would you take what we offer? Because you said it's acceptable. And would you make it holy? In your name I pray. Amen.